Hello and welcome to Profiles in Risk. This is your host, Tony Canyas, recording episode, I don't know, 280 or so. And today I have with me Dr. Hannah Farber, the author of Underwriters of the United States. Uh, Dr. Farber, uh, thank you for, for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So exciting <laughs> for, for me. I, we chatted for about 10 minutes before we started recording. And I was telling you how excited I am because uh, so many episodes of this podcast are uh, very tech heavy. And I have few episodes for the true insurance nerds among us uh, who, who have really fallen in love with, with, with this industry. Um, so first, I, I've got to give credit to, to Broker Brett uh, for, for finding you on Twitter and before the book came out uh, and, and making me and the rest of the insurance nerds community aware. Uh, and, and, and then basically, as soon as I became aware that, th that this book existed, uh, I immediately pre-ordered a copy. And, and then uh, I asked for an autograph. Uh, and, and you do auto autographs by mail, basically, during the COVID era. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, so so, so I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think I have the very first autographed copy, which I am very, very proud of. Uh, so you, you're a historian at Columbia University. Mm -hmm. uh, before we talk about the book itself, I'm very curious, how did you end up deciding to look at insurance? Uh, we, 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 we don't get much love. <laughs> you don't get nearly books. enough love. No, 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 no. And I, I did not mean to give you love. Uh, that was an entirely accidental falling in love on my part. Um, I went to grad school looking for stories of adventure on the ocean. So I was looking at sailors and privateers and uh I was enchanted with the United States sort of making its way as a new country in a big and dangerous world. Um, and I was, as I was reading merchant papers, correspondence, um, memoirs, letters, I was struck by how frequently they made reference to insurance. And at first I just thought it was really funny and silly because I thought this was a world of daring adventure. And why were all these people talking about this back-end business and crunching these numbers? <laughs> and even people amid the fighting, warring nations, diplomats would start talking about one another's insurance companies, um, admirals, um, consuls, ambassadors, insurance, insurance, insurance. And I was like, what the hell is happening here? This is not what I thought this world of adventure was about. And I, I gradually realized that you can't understand the world of adventure and risk unless you understand that there is a giant ancient um, high risk, high reward international business that's organizing this world of risks that people inhabit. It's always part of the war calculations. Um, when countries are fighting one another, when, when Britain and France, these great naval powers are fighting each other all around the world in the Napoleonic Wars, um, they're trying to destroy one another's commerce. Um, when Britain and the United States go to war in 1812, it's in significant part a commercial war because uh, states need their commercial shipping to continue. They absolutely have to have the revenue that comes to the government from 
commercial shipping. Um, they need exports, they need imports. And so, of course, insurance then becomes this incredibly critical factor in the combat between nations, because it's through insurance that, that private actors are in part managing the risks of navigating this world. Makes sense. So, so basically, uh, two, two things. So, so number one, uh, Disney has done us all a significant uh, disfavor by never mentioning insurance in all the parts of the Caribbean movies. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and number two, basically, you wanted to write about pirates. Uh, and that led you to, <laughs> to insurance. That's fantastic. Even, even I couldn't have predicted that, that one of those worlds would lead you to, to, to the other. Um, very, 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 very interesting. So, so um, as, as, a, as a historian, uh, is it like, okay, so, so this is what my interests are leading me towards. I'll, I'll do the research on that. Or was it like, like did you give up and you're like, okay, I guess my research is about insurance. <laughs> No, no, no. I was driven by this really um, strong drive to understand how this system worked. Um, I, I was responding to a really wonderful first wave of scholarship that studied the culture of economic life. In other words, people who studied in America, how Americans felt about markets going up and markets going down and uh, how they felt about their business endeavors and poverty and wealth. And that was all good. And I was into the feelings. I love feelings, but I also was just astonished at the complexity of insurance, and I wanted to know how it worked. And I gradually realized that the complexity in and of itself is part of the story of insurance, because complexity is what guarantees that only merchants can run the insurance business, because it is too complicated for anybody else to figure out. You've got to be in it in order to know how to do it. How are you going to know if a merchant is cheating you? How are you going to know if the merchant's paperwork is right? Only if um, you are an experienced merchant in yourself. So other people can invest, like they can invest in insurance companies, but this is going to be a merchant run business for merchants. And so what insurance does in the new United States, um, especially after incorporations become a plausible option for insurance groups, is all of a sudden there's this huge amount of knowledge, capital, technical know-how, political authority that gets sort of dumped into this brand new insurance sector in the United States in a really short period of time. And all of a sudden, you have these marine insurers who are coordinating this business, um, mercantile business, that's incredibly crucial to the new United States as the source of its revenue and the core piece of its economy. So there's a, there's a reason that we don't know much more about them, and I'm happy to talk about that later. The short version is they don't really want people to know that much about them. Um, <laughs> but the, the complexity itself was what I fell in love with. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. How can there be this many different weird things that happen on the ocean? Who is keeping track of all this? And, I, and, and it's thanks to you guys. It's thanks to conversations with contemporary insurers after this book came out, where they're like, yeah, it's, it's still true. Um, and uh, you know, it, it horrifies judges. Uh, apparently, I was talking to this one 
um, Marine underwriter who's like, you know, federal judges still, uh, he said, somebody said to him something like, I don't know much about the Marine insurance business and I don't care to. <laughs> just this still this body of law um, that people try to avoid you know who made this law in the early 19th century the insurers so there were there were several things that that i that i found fascinating and and for for the listeners uh many of us who who consider ourselves insurance nerds we we got you know cpcu or other insurance designations uh, the real nerds amongst, uh, amongst us ended up doing things like the Associated Marine Insurance and learning. Uh, that, that one taught us a lot about the history of, of insurance. And, and, and then many, many, many people have, have, have told me over the years that they randomly, after having started an insurance, ended up reading Against the Gods. And, and that's the mm -hmm. one that really helped them fall in love with insurance. So for, for the listeners, this, this, this is this is that kind of book. This is the book that can help you fall in love with insurance. And, and having read Against the Gods, having my CPCU and my AMIM, uh, this marine insurance one, uh, even though I've never worked in marine, having, uh, uh, I'm, I'm also a bit of an American history nerd and a history nerd in general. Uh, and, and I'm a Hamilton fanatic. And, and I, I understand the <laughs> Hamilton is... is Yes, he's in this know, business. Mm -hmm. a, a play, not not a uh, <laughs> not, not not a historical piece, but I did read the book that that, that the play is based on. Yeah, uh, which is which you know as actually an actual historian book. Um, after the play, and and so so anyway, this this era of the founding of the U.S. Uh, and I'm a foreigner. I, I grew up in Costa Rica. I've spent half my life in in the U.S. now. But but this this era of the of the founding of the U.S. really is fascinating. Um, and in, in all of that studying that I had done, uh, insurance had never really been pointed out as an important part of the founding of the US. Uh, and it is really, really interesting how, how it is. Uh, also, I found it super interesting how the, the, the marine insurance insurers early on used this uh, this aura uh, this myth mm -hmm. of, yep. of of we're not really under u.s law right yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. We're, we're part of part of, of of a millennia old international system that yep. only we understand right which, yep. which is more myth than history uh yep. and, and how they use that on, on one hand, like, like, like that, that, I don't know, bipolarity or, or mm -hmm. I, I don't even know how to, how to describe it, but, but basically the, like, however it was convenient for them dur during that time period, they were, they either presented themselves as very important parts of the, of the U S mm -hmm. or completely we don't outside have anything of, to do with the U S. <laughs> I think that, I think that says something really profound about business today and the way the ways in which businesses are opportunistic and the ways in mm -hmm. which um, they 
they only strategically talk about the risk calculations they're making, where on the one hand, when things are going well, it's to their advantage to say, oh, we're just objective risk assessors. You can't regulate us. You don't understand it. There's nothing to regulate, really. This is just an objective market phenomenon. The pricing of insurance is an objective market phenomenon. It's something that enables merchant commerce. If you can't, if you, if you forbid insurance or if you meddle with insurance such that it stops working, then we as merchants can't do our jobs and keep things moving for your country. Um, and, you know, our corporations are just us as merchants doing things for us as merchants. So this really has very little to, to do with, um, with considerations for the country. It needs to be left alone. On the other hand when things get too dangerous for them they're a lot more interested in what the government could do for them and they start becoming very interested in this idea that the united states is the ultimate backstop for risks that americans are taking and you know once in a while somebody in government will say well but you guys made a lot of money <laughs> taking risks like you were perfectly happy doing that for a long time now all of a sudden you're saying we need restitution from the government well, yeah, yeah, we do, because this is American property, we're American citizens. So it's the insurers ride this genuine transnational quality of the insurance business, genuinely old, genuinely transnational, genuinely really effective and genuinely complex. And they use that to help defend their um, defend their demands for compensation, to demand de defend their rejection of taxation, um, to defend their desires for governments then to pass laws about trade. They say no, like this is for us, and to defend their um, their roles in crafting American law that has to do with insurance. Because again, who else understands this? You can't make these laws for us. Only we get it. You're going to ruin it. Um, so let, let us do it. And, and it's not just you're going to ruin our business. It, you're going to ruin your ability to do commerce internationally, which, which is so critical. So, right. So the only form of federal taxation that ends up being effective, basically, for most in the 19th century is um, taxation on imports. Um, they have this like idea about how other kinds of taxation would work in the Constitution. It's a massive failure. Uh, American citizens are pretty uh, twitchy about direct taxes, like the excise tax, in which Hamilton is very um, uh emphatic in helping uh, Washington stamp out resistance to taxation. Um, but the taxation of imports provides about 90% of federal government revenue up through the turn of the 20th century. So you cannot stop the musical chairs. This has to keep going, right? And, and so the US government, which does not have a lot of stuff, it doesn't have a lot of information. Um, it's, it's dependent on this network of well-informed merchants um, who then start forming insurance companies um, to, to understand what are its parameters for action in the world. It's a tremendously influential position that, that insurers are in, even though, as you say, they have very little prominence in the national narrative. And for, 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 for me, um, it, it answered a, a question uh, that I've asked myself my, my whole 12 years in the industry, because, because I'm, I'm a peacock. I'm, I'm very showy. I, I like to be on stage. I'm very, I'm very visible. <laughs> 
I, I wear a Superman cape uh, uh, about once a year to 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 a conference, uh, and and this is very on insurance. Insurance is is, is very reserved, very quiet. They don't mm-hmm. like attention, mm-hmm. and I think that the book really answered that. Well, why? <laughs> like the industry doesn't like attention. Also, I I had a a little bit of an, of an understanding of the relationship of insurance and banking. Uh, yes. And, and I, I've had on, on my to-read list forever, I haven't actually read it, the, the uh, shadow bankers. But, I, but I, I've, I've read kind of, kind of the summary, uh, right? That ultimately insurance is holding on so much money and, and, and ultimately like, like they're, they're the institutional investors what, uh, along with pension mm-hmm. funds and a couple of others. Mm-hmm. They're, they're one of the really big institutional investors and you don't think about that fact. But, mm-hmm. but I did not know that the businesses ran so close. So, 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 so um, I, I, I didn't know that back in the, in the, in the, in the 18th century, when, when, when you got insurance on, on, on your cargo, you were essentially getting a loan that you would pay once that a trip was completed. So uh, merchants hate settling up, right? They want to just keep the musical chairs in motion as long as they can. Their ships are all over the place. Their money is all over the place. And insurance is a business meant to accommodate merchants. So the expectation is that you're not going to settle up until your ship comes in. And maybe not even then. Maybe you let it ride even further. So insurance company lets its money ride in the bank. The merchant lets its books ride with the insurance company. Um, there's a lot of like accommodation and e- even more than they're allowed to do legally. If you look in their papers, there are some private quiet accommodations that are going on to customers as well. Um, and, and so again, they're, they're quietly facilitating a lot of American financial activity. Yeah, so, so I, I found that super, super interesting. The, the other thing that, that, that I found super interesting uh, so, so, so the book, uh, for those who haven't read it yet, the, the, the book is, is written in a, in a somewhat chronological order, uh, short eras, ba- basically, and, and how insurance served growing and then de- declining and then growing and then declining uh, roles during those eras and the type of people that they attracted in those eras. So, so I thought that was very, very interesting how that changed. Uh, before the country was founded, to 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 once it's a, it's been founded, but but not very powerful as it starts gaining power, and 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 mm-hmm. especially how connected it is with 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 war. Yeah, um, right. Because that's the big uncertainty. So it's an uncertainty business. It's not an actuarial business, or it's both. It's a little actuary, a little bit of like ocean risk, and so you can see that ocean risk on policies that say we're not insuring against captures. Um, but politically driven inconvenience is a, a, a huge part of what these merchants are dealing with. Um, so they're always trying to decide how much is it worth to them to insure against not just captures, but detainments, inconveniences, delays, just things that are caused by this incredibly turbulent political world that they inhabit. You know, often it's just like these guys, you know, one big hazard is just cooling your heels for a few months while your stuff rots, your market gets flooded that you were headed to, and all of a sudden your stuff's just not worth what you thought it would be worth. So it's worth a significant amount of insurance money just to like 
get through that. And it's not, again, this is not calculable. It's not actuarial. It's based on merchant's instinct, experience, reading the latest political news, talking to your private correspondents about what they know that's going on in an era. Again, always with the goal of just like keeping things in moving, keep keep your ships in play for another few months, right? Keep the books riding, get an extension on that loan, just keep it moving along. Um, and the merchant communities are still relatively small in American port cities. This is not a giant clearinghouse like Lloyd's of London. Once Americans start incorporating um, they're sort of pulling their capital, they're linking it up with the banks, which are founded by the same people, by the way, but but insurance is a lot quieter than banking, so it doesn't get as, as much attention. Um, then they use these communities to, um, to regulate their risk. I, I had not, in, in all of my studies within insurance, I, I had never heard of uh, Lex Mercatoria. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it's so interesting. So, so, so basically how, how, how the myth of this millennia old law is, 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 is used uh, while at the same time it, it, it's kind of grown in, 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 in the way that the different people over time write new versions of it where they're growing it in a direction that, that that's helpful to how they want to do business while yeah. pretending that this is this always the way it's always been right I, i'm just capturing right, the... right i mean it, this is the i mean it's the amazing thing about all economic stories is that if you believe in things they become real <laughs> your problem comes with you know something like bitcoin after nfts your problem comes when people stop believing that it works so in in, in this very sidelong way you know, the way that i put it is that the merchants would tell you that they believed in the eternal laws of merchants. Now, what does it really mean that they believed that? I don't know. It's never put to the test, but um, it really is a useful thing to say when you are um, in a country that's trying to establish a system of judges and legal precedents. And it's of great importance to you that those precedents make sense and that they work for your business. Now you say, this has been the same forever and in all places and times. And, and, and it's got a little grain of truth to it. Um, and, and often, you know, because Look, because a lot of people in contemporary politics say a lot of ignorant things based on their belief in a, a sort of a free market. They don't really think about what those market parameters are. Um, a lot of scholarship has gone to the other extreme and saying, no, there's never been like a free market. It's all really about like filtering through the governments of states. But I'm saying like, look, this is a world when the governments of states are new, not just the United States, but um, even European countries that are supposedly like the first modern states with modern borders and, and, and unified sovereignty over their subject peoples. This world is a lot messier than it looks and states are a lot weaker than you think they are. And as these states are coming together, you already have this business that's used to 
um, dealing with like high roller guys operating across political boundaries, um, that managing political risk, like the world that they live in and the world that they do business in, it's like this world of fissures between political authorities. It's like, um, it's like those creatures that live in the rifts on the bottom of the ocean floor, like as the big plates are shifting, like there's this magma bubbling up and there's like life that that survives on um, because the big plates are shifting and insurance is like living between those big plates and the more disrupted states are the more space insurers have to operate in other words <laughs> if you're in a world where your government isn't telling you what's legal or what's illegal, what's contraband, what trade is allowed, what counts as smuggling, what counts as being involved in warfare. Um, there's a lot of money at stake in what counts as a blockaded port that you're trying to get a shipment of goods through. Um, if you can't count on a government's answer to those questions, um, you're going to really look to your insurer to make that decision for you because they're the ones who are, who are backing you. Your government's not backing you. You're, the world is too dangerous. Your insurers the, are. The, the contraband piece I thought was very interesting. And because I, I've never done Marines, right? so I, I never thought uh, uh, about that, right? In, 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 in domestic insurance, in, in, in fire, property, casualty. Uh, domestically, like the, the law is pretty clear on on, on what's legal. <laughs> a lot what's of contraband. If it's, if it's not legal, we don't insure it, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, if you're going between two countries with different laws, what do you uh, mean by legal? What do you mean by it, illegal? I mean, even legal? in the United, even in the United States, Tony, I'm willing to to bet there are some insurance conversations about is X legal or is well, X not legal, well, and some uh, of those gray areas are pretty profitable. I would wager. Uh, currently, uh, cannabis. Is, mm -hmm. is, 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 the, is the big one uh, where it's federally legal mm -hmm. and yet it's legal in several states and it's medically legal in several more. Uh, and just like cigarette companies know that, that that's going to be a huge business for them the moment it becomes fully legal, insurance companies are, are in the same position, right? Uh, and, and many already insure it in, in the states where, where it's legal. So, so mm -hmm. uh, yes, we the, the, those changes happen, uh, and and somebody insures it, and you know it's it's economics. Wherever there's an opportunity, capital will come in to 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 to, in, to insure it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this opportunity framed by political uncertainty. In your case, so state and federal there, those are the two different plates on the ocean floor. Insurance, right? There's there's an opportunity there for the people who are willing to take risks. I, I so you you were talking about about about, about with, with contraband, especially about, uh, during wartime, during non-wartime. How uh, when uh, as the risk changed, the prices changed, and I had never imagined. Uh, uh, so so it went from for well, first of all, it, it was based on the value of, of the shipment. So so the rate was a percentage of, of, of the value, right? So so at mm -hmm. times as low as 5% and mm -hmm. at times very close to 60%. 60, right? so, so 75%. At times it was so mm -hmm. dangerous that, that, they, <laughs> that, that they would pay 60, 70% of, of, yep. of the value of the cargo to, to, to keep it insured. Uh, so yeah, of, of course, at that level of rate, right? For, for, for a, a modern insurance person, basically that, that's insuring 
a you know two hundred thousand dollar home for one hundred fifty thousand a year, like with that <laughs> level of premium. Uh, yes, it, it's incredibly profitable when things go well, uh, and and of course you're gonna do everything you, you can to 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 write that 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 type of of of, of, of business. Um, I, I was surprised by uh, mutuals don't don't play that big of a role in, in the in the in the early marine space uh i i, I thought i thought that, that that there would be a lot more uh mm. about mutuals i guess that that's that's the mythology of mutuals in in my head uh uh-huh. um, uh, you thought that merchants would like those as as well <laughs> yeah i, I, I mean, thought that the organization of the companies in, in, in it, it would have been uh, mutually owned but but really, it's 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 the the, the ability to incorporate as a stock companies yeah. that, that really allowed it all to happen. All right. And one way to think about this is that they are many of them are at the beginning somewhat endogenous. That they come out of these communities of um, merchants who know each other in the port city, and they have some reputation. And so when they go to the state legislature and say, we want an incorporation, they have some friends in the state legislature and they can sort of say they're doing this plausible business practice. And so they are engaged in this mutual risk sharing project. They get to just get this and they, they need, they want this extra opportunity, which is to pool and invest their capital collectively. And having a corporation makes it more convenient to do that. So they're making money. You you could you could ensure through your own company that you're a shareholder in, and your company is also investing in your local bank and in federal securities. So you have a few different income streams that are like you can you can balance off each other. You can balance those risks off one another. And so but, they but don't. Anyway. The mutuals like <laughs> the, the mutuals make me were very successful they last for a very long time but they don't hold capital and so i've seen these amazing documents from early uh, mutual fire insurance companies where um because they don't hold capital that you know let's say there's a fire and they have to go back and they have to assess the um the members of the mutual for more money and the members of the mutual are like i don't like this <laughs> They write this and they say, well, you know, they don't feel like they're members of the community. And this this worked particularly poorly with these guys who were trying to start these mutuals that spread across like backcountry Virginia, where, you know, if you've ever been in the backcountry in the South, you know, people wandering up to your door <laughs> is not always something that they find particularly appealing. And then if that's a person who's asking for, for, for money. Anyway, there are some wonderful angry letters from this time period of people who do not like this for the recession. The merchants have this advantage. Um, they are they're reading the same newspapers. Again, not all. You can be a stockholder and not be part of the core of the club. But for each company, there is sort of a core club in the port city that's reading the newspapers, sharing information, ensuring each other, pooling their risks. Their risks are intertwined in other ways as well. They're like splitting their cargoes between different ships. There's the brother-in-law and the father-in-law in business with each other. Um, so they're used to pooling their risks in 
a variety of ways. Um, it's convenient to them when they have a corporation, corporate form that they can do that with. It's convenient to them when they have a new government that's issuing securities that they can buy and when they can um, influence that government by asking it for certain things. So merchants are always like spreading their risk around. Um, so corporations just allow them to do that more effectively. And, and they often start off as this sort of communal um, clique, like the core group with some outside investors who aren't as involved, um, and then they tend to grow. So interestingly, what um, many corporate critics are afraid of in the 1790s is that the corporations will grow to, um, like the first corporation that they charter in Pennsylvania will grow to be so big it will monopolize the insurance business in Pennsylvania. So they don't end up getting monopolies, but they do end up collaborating with each other, sort of losing their political character, their characters as clubs, and their their shared point of interest is keeping their interest rates equivalent to one another. So their insurance rates equivalent to one another. I um, I also found it interesting the the uh, the relationship between between insurance and slavery uh, mm -hmm. during you know the, the, before mm -hmm. the nineteenth amendment uh, and and I don't know if it just never hit me before or I don't know if it's been whitewashed out of uh, a lot of the insurance education but I don't remember it ever mentioned even when I studied marine insurance. Uh, so, so, so thank you for, for including it because I do think- I think contemporary it's, it's, insurance companies are concerned that they might be asked to pay reparations. Yeah. So they're, they're contiguous entities, whereas a lot of the individual merchants who have blood on their hands are dead and gone, but um, some corporations survive. And so I think it's a little bit more of a fraud issue than you might imagine because of this, this continuity that exists. That, may, that makes sense. Yeah, because there are insurance companies that are a couple hundred years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that, yes, that, 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 that makes sense. Um, so, so overall, I, I found it to be an engaging read and, and again, I, I happen to be the perfect audience for it, right? We, we, you are <laughs> both, both kind of a, a history nerd and especially an, an, an insurance nerd. Uh, my copy is, is literally all highlighted, uh, <laughs> because I am really a nerd, uh, well, I found out that a lot of insurance nerds are actually have some historical sensibilities that even if they don't, even if they haven't been taught that their business is a business that has, that, that you need like a historical antennae to operate in, mm -hmm. it really is because the political landscape is never not relevant. Um, and politics changes in this unpredictable, non-actuarial way. And however much you think what you're doing is numbers, you're working with people who have specific expectations, who come from specific cultures, um, who think markets work in particular ways, who are manipulating governments or lobbying in particular ways. Um, they, it's, a, it's always this like specific context. And I think I, a lot of insurers that I've talked to now actually do on some level understand it. I, I, I'm curious. So, so as you started writing first your dissertation and then the, the book version of, of it, 
uh, and and before we start recording, you you mentioned that the dissertation is something you write for for four people basically to yeah. defend it against. Four people. <laughs> uh, and, and and the book version you you write for a hundred people, uh, were of true nerds. Were, 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 were you surprised at the existence and then at the size of uh, the tribe of, of, of insurance people that, that is actually interested in this stuff? I was surprised and I, I was so like moved because I, I'm in my own corner of academia and I, I had stayed away from learning things about the contemporary insurance business because it comes with its own modern language and its set of terminologies and I wanted to come to the 18th the 19th centuries on their own terms and to to learn to talk about what they did in regular people talk, which is something that historians work on a lot. Um, we sometimes have jargon that we use so sort of shorthand for particular ideas, um, but a lot of it I want to do in regular people talk from the 18th, 19th century. So yeah, I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been surprised again, because in people in the insurance community are information gatherers. You are always assessing the landscape, um, you're always making comparisons. Those are historian toolkit practices, um, making comparisons, looking for context. Um, those, those are the kinds of things that historians do. So I was surprised, but I think that, that I should not have been. And I think insurers should not be surprised to, um, to find themselves in a, in, in a world that's, that's really so unpredictable that even if you're in a field of insurance where things seem pretty steady and pretty regulated, it's at the edges of that world, I would wager, where you're looking out for change, you're looking out for disruption, what's unexpected. Um, that people with a risk-oriented mindset are always looking there. Um, so I, that's what I found so fascinating about uh, insurance today. For, for the listeners, um, if, if you're working, you know, auto for state farm or, you know, like other heavily, heavily regulated, boring business, and you think insurance is boring, uh, <laughs> take a look at, you know, X is X is on surplus, uh, insurance does get very, very interesting. It's, it's hard to get a job in Lloyd's, uh, being American, but, but, uh, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of, of work in, in, in X is on surplus or, or ENS insurance uh in in our in our modern world uh that's 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 kind of where new things uh that uh, that we don't yet have a ton of data for uh get get get, get insured at uh, also I, I i found the uh uh your your kind of analogy with 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 nfts uh very 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 interesting uh with, with the, the, it's it's worth what we what we think they're worth, right? As long as we can convince enough people that that they are, uh, that, that that was very very interesting. Uh, for for the listeners, I have said it before. Uh, if you want to, to buy the NFT of this episode, I will absolutely sell it to you. Uh, I haven't had a request yet, but but you can proudly own the the original quote unquote version of this. Think of it as the as the autograph version. Uh, and, and uh, who knows? Someday it might be worth a lot of money. Uh, if 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 Professor Farber uh, writes a bunch more books and and ends up, ends up uh, being more mainstream famous than just insurance. Right, famous. people have to buy a uh, lot of my books. Maybe that's why I'm here. 
<laughs> uh, you buy it now, guys. <laughs> but yes, uh, if you made it this late into the recording, you are a true insurance nerd. You probably wouldn't have uh, listened 30 minutes into this particular episode. Get the book. It's on Amazon. Uh, for now, it's a hardcover. I, I don't know if a paperback is, is in the probably plans. will be, but, but uh, not, not immediately. But, There's but also you, Kindle. Kindle version. The, so very, very interestingly, so, so, so uh, when, when, when I wrote uh, my, my book about, about, about engaging in insurance, in the, in, in, mm-hmm. engaging millennials in the insurance industry, Insurance Nerds became a tiny publisher and we, we published it. And then we've published five or six other books after that. And, and uh, my, my girlfriend uh, made fun of me saying like, why a paper copy? Like, 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 like the Kindle the copy, like, like with, with the availability of Kindle, uh, this was only four years ago with the, with the availability of Kindle, there's really no need for a paper copy. Like, like, like are, you're doing a paper copy that, that right? Only for, for your own ego kind, kind, of, kind of thing. Uh, it turns out in every one of our books, paper has outsold Kindle repeatedly we are a traditional industry uh mm-hmm. so so i mm-hmm. i pretty much guarantee that the paper copy is go, is gonna uh outsell the the, the kindle copy but but yeah yeah it, it, uh, for the community of insurance nerds um uh, and this is something you're gonna keep that, that that's the that's the thing i see it with my with myself right there's a lot of books that come in and out of my apartment the insurance book become part of my insurance book collection, whether I've read them or not, they, they just become a, a part of my, of my insurance book, of my, of my little insurance library, which I, which I'm very proud of. So yeah, this, this is uh, something you, you're going to keep and it, it's printed on very nice paper. It's, it's, it's a nice uh, collectible. They did a good job. Yeah. They, they real, as you know, job. as you've been publishing, um, the publishing industry has had some real challenges lately and having a good book that's not only printed on nice paper that people edited it and every single footnote has been fact-checked by um, grad students at the College of William & Mary. Um, so it takes a whole community to produce a single authored book. So there's another insurance connection too. Takes a whole community. Fantastic, uh, Hannah! Thank you so much for for your time. Uh, when when it goes live, I, I will tag you on LinkedIn, uh, and I know that, that you're not much active on LinkedIn, so I, I'll make sure to tweet. And yeah, let me know on, on, on Twitter. Twitter too, so, so that you actually find out sometime in the, during the same month when it when it goes live. Thank uh, you, appreciate but, it. But thank thank you very much, not only for for writing the book, uh, but but also for. For, for, for being willing to, to engage with, with uh, my, my tribe of, of insurance nerds who, uh, who, who you had no idea you were writing for. But I had no idea, really but I love nerds. Topic. <laughs> I'm a nerd. I love nerds. That's our community. Awesome. Thank, thank you very much thank for, you. For, for your time. Thank you.